This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to a special Blood Red podcast to react to the release of the summary of Liverpool's annual financial accounts. Hopefully you've had the chance to read about it on the Liverpool Echo's website, but we're going to delve a little deeper now with someone who should be familiar voice to our listeners and uh, who is an expert in this field. Uh, it's University University of Liverpool lecturer, author and one half of the excellent Price of Football podcast. It's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm very good, uh, Paul, with, with the exception of being a Brighton fan. I'm, I'm somewhat nervous <laughs> as we're talking just before our derby match, which I appreciate everybody, nobody in the world understands apart from us, Palace, but it, but it still occupies our minds somewhat. Yeah, it's not been a bad season for Brighton, is it? I know when I've seen them against Liverpool and against Everton, and any time they've ever been on the TV, they, they play some good football, but there's still a few concerns about that position in the table, I imagine. Yes, yeah, I, I think, I think we, we, we spent the first half of the season convincing ourselves that we're playing the football is too good for us to go down and then we realised actually it's not, it's, it's, not, it's, not about, it's not about performances it's about results uh, but, so the mindset has changed uh, but uh, yeah we're still, still very positive uh, we're hoping Liverpool have uh, have got the Premier League well sewn up before they come to uh, the, the Amex later this season yeah and- <laughs> Hopefully, do your favour with uh, victory against Watford as well on on Saturday because they're another of the teams. We'll be cheering them on. <laughs> cheering them on. Uh, but yeah, best of luck in in that game. Uh, imagine, as you said, there your thoughts come later this afternoon and and on Saturday we'll be consumed by that match. But I imagine you've been a a busy man this week, given the fact that Liverpool have released this summary, if not the full account yet, of uh, their financial report of the year ending May thirty first, two thousand and nineteen. Imagine there's been a lot of people on the phone asking for your opinion. Yes. Conversation. Um, everybody's got an interest. Uh, doesn't matter what football team you support. I think it's a huge amount of sympathy to uh, the, the supporters of Berry Football Club. And, and there'll be lots of people looking around saying, well, how, how could I actually cope with every Saturday afternoon going through what it's like for international break, which is, which is a pretty boring and miserable experience for us club football fans. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'd have to go through that. 38 Saturdays on the trot uh, if you're a Berry fan it must be an absolutely soul-destroying experience yeah, and that's the beauty of the podcast, isn't it? Like, uh, and the success of your podcast, Price of Football, the fact that there is this broad church of clubs. It's not just Liverpool. It's not just Everton. It's not Manchester United, Manchester City. It's the the whole the whole pyramid almost, isn't it? Winning and included, obviously, the unfortunate case of Berry. Yes, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all bricked in the same wall. Yeah, that's, uh, and I think all football fans recognise that, and, and that, that's why there was so much universal support for for Berry during the course of their demise. Um, and you know, therefore, the grace of God go many clubs. Most definitely. Well, from one extreme to the other, with Barry to Liverpool, from a, a team that's starting again at the bottom of the pyramid to, to Liverpool, the one who's at the top. And uh, the headline figures are out there. Liverpool have released a, a statement, which obviously the, the Echo have picked up. And in the coming days, or certainly in the coming weeks, we'll be able to see the accounts in full. But what did you make of the, the headline figures from Liverpool? Um, I, I think they're uh, a superb set of results. Uh, I, I think the club's business model is very much coming through that uh, if, if they generate extra money, then that will go straight into the uh, into the squad. It will go into the infrastructure, um, spending all on the good things in football as far as we want to see it in fans. And also, I think it's testament to the quality of the club's decision-making 
right nine times out of ten. Um, and I think Liverpool have certainly delivered on that. Whereas if you look at other clubs, uh, you know, Manchester United have been fairly hit and miss in their transfer market. Um, Arsenal signed Pepe for what, 60, 70 million and he's, you know, he's, he's struggling to get off the bench. And, and other clubs have not managed to turn what I'd call probables into certainties, uh, into the same degree as Liverpool. And, you know, that, that has, that has worked. Uh, both in, in terms of delivering the Champions League and the World Club Championship, um, but also has allowed them to, uh, to to reward those players as well with with extended contracts, and, and that's one of the things, the big things which has come through from this set of accounts, is that the money that they generated last year uh, from their success has been very much reinvested. And remember actually speaking for the first time with yourself after the Champions League final in, in Kiev and you, I remember you stating on the, the podcast we did around that time that Liverpool could spend £150 million that summer which would have been the summer of 2018 you know, and over the course of the season that followed but as you say these figures actually show that they exceeded that Yes, they spent well over, uh, well over £200 million in terms of investment in players they were second only to Chelsea uh, last season in terms of recruitment Chelsea spent nearly £300 million but, but can you name any of their players? No no, I, I was staggered when I seen that on your top I thought it must be Man City first but then I seen Chelsea Exactly I, I know they signed a goalkeeper and they're, they're going somebody, somebody called Hitch mentioned uh, then a, a chart on your Twitter account at Kieran Maguire and there's another one there that actually shows that Liverpool's transfer spending under FFG over the last decade from 2010 to 2019 is pretty significant will come into the come into the fact that they, they do balance the book so well and what you mentioned earlier in terms of the savvy de- decision making but they have put money up haven't they for transfers over this uh, first 10 years of their reign. Yes I mean they, they spent over a billion uh, but what I think Liverpool have been very good at is, is recouping money as well. So, um, you know, Coutinho sale, uh, Suarez, uh, Sterling, you know, there's, there's, there's a quarter of a, of a billion back straight away. And they've made plenty of other uh, decent-sized uh, sales. Um, their, their net spend is, is relatively low. I mean, certainly by the big six standards, they're way behind uh, United, Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, and I think they're broadly broadly level with Arsenal and Spurs. You know, Spurs don't like spending money on players. No, no. Uh, I, I think in terms of you know, bang per buck, as it were, uh, Liverpool have got to be commended. And whilst I think there were issues initially with sort of the, the money ball style, which to which they have been associated with, um, that that clearly has paid paid dividends um, over the course of the last two or three years. And uh, they, they're in an incredibly strong position because, remember, Liverpool effectively spent next to nothing in the uh, in the summer 2019. 
mm-hmm. market. They, they, they signed uh, they signed Miyamoto uh, in in January, but that was again a bargain fee. Yes. So they will go into to this uh, this summer's transfer market, you know, full of cash. Um, they'll be in a very strong position, but I, I suspect they would some of that money will go on offering the likes of Van Dyke uh, an extended contract because he is the best defender in the world. And you know, the, the first thing Liverpool want to do, you know, he's clearly very happy at Anfield, is to, is to make sure that he feels that he's the best defender in the world um, because both Barcelona and Real Madrid are in decline. And, and when they're in decline, they just get the checkbook out. I think Liverpool can just, just get a submit. Yeah, that would be, I think that would be the best signing that Liverpool will do this year. Yeah, it's very interesting because they did do that, didn't they? In in the the period between two thousand eighteen and nineteen, between Kiev and Madrid, Salah, uh, Mane, Firmino, Trent, Robertson, Henderson—they all got new contracts. It's just really clever planning, it seems, on on the club's on the club's behalf. Yes, yes, I, I think they they clearly you know, uh, on, on the man, as you know, that the likes of spreadsheet, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I suspect that, uh, that Liverpool have got one. And they are planning out not what's going to happen during the summer of 2020, but they're planning out the next five years. There'll be a way of, where of, uh, you know, as, as players are getting older, you know, they'll, they'll already be planning for, for their replacement, but also identifying which ones need a contract extension and making sure they get those contract extensions in early because they don't want a situation, as we've seen with the likes of uh, Aaron Ramsey at Arsenal or, or Ross Barkley at, uh, at Everton, where by, by allowing things to drift or you know, when things did start to drift a bit too far, the value of the player really collapses in, 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 over the course of the last 12 months of the contract. But if Liverpool do want to spend this summer, I, I totally agree with you. I think <clears throat> a deal for Virgil van Dijk or any other player who's maybe not tied down to a, a longer deal or maybe a more uh, profitable deal. They have got the money to spend on players, though, if, if they want to this summer. Yes, yes. Uh, I think they can, both, they can both recruit and they can retain, uh, which is an excellent position to be in. Um, they, they, they will have... Uh, they'll, be, they'll get bonuses from, from winning the Premier League. And, and I think... I, I know, you know I, I share an office with a Liverpool fan, Chris Neal, how me saying it. They've won it. You know, yeah. let, 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 <laughs> um, they've won it and deservedly so. Um, so therefore, there'll be bonuses coming in from sponsors. They they'll be planning for a life with Nike as well. Um, so so that will uh, that that will boost the coffers. Um, and going into the going into next year's Champions League as champions actually increases the money you get because. Uh, UEFA have a variety of pots of money that, that they distribute between clubs, one of which is based on where you finished in, in your domestic league mm-hmm. the previous year. So, so that pot, uh, 40% goes to the team that comes first, 30% second, 20% third, and, and 10% fourth. So Liverpool will be getting lots of you know, rel- you know, small sums of money. Yeah, yeah, we're talking small as in sort of two or three million, um, but uh, you, you add all of those up, and with the change to the way that the um, overseas Premier League rights are now going to be distributed, um, some of that will be going to Liverpool as well, because that will be based on their final place in the season. So all of these things are just adding up, you know, plus, 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 plus. Um, they've also uh, reduced the amount of money that they owe to, to FSG, mm-hmm. so you knock £20 million pounds off, off the loan. That reduces your interest cost. If you contrast their approach to that of Manchester United, and there was a big kerfuffle earlier this week 
signings such as you know Di Maria and Phil Jones and so on. Perhaps perhaps it's better going to the bank manager um, than, than buying players of that ilk. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It is really interesting because, as you say, and I agree completely, I think it's only a matter of time before Liverpool win the the Premier League. I don't think we're tempting fate by saying it's it's a done deal. And for this season, at least, they will have overtaken Manchester City. Uh, I'm sure City will be back stronger than ever next season to challenge again. But Liverpool have certainly left Manchester United behind on the field. And I know you've been saying this week and have said in previously uh, that this is going to have an impact, not obviously on the Premier League table itself, but on the income table, where traditionally Liverpool have been behind the Manchester clubs in recent years. But do you think this could change soon? Um, very much so. I mean, since the formation of the Premier League, Manchester United... Have, uh, have have been top of it every single year, and, and that's that's understandable. They've got the biggest stadium, you know, regardless of, of whether you hate United or hate United. Um, you know, they, they are a global <laughs> phenomenon in, in terms of their fan base, um, and, and they're very popular with broadcasters as a result of that. So, so they've always been good at generating match day commercial and broadcasting income. Um, the gap does look you know, the, the, the gap is. Uh, what, £94 million pounds, uh, between the clubs, which sounds an awful lot, but the noises coming out of United is they're expecting their income this year to drop by around about £60 million because they're not participating in the Premier, in the Champions League. Um, Liverpool, uh, I'd expect their income to go up this year because um, they've got new sponsorship deals. So that they've, now, they've, they've now got the the expansion of the stadium, everything is fine-tuned there so that everything that can be earned will be earned. And also, um, whilst this is a a nerdy point, uh, Liverpool's financial year-end is the 31st of May. Mm -hmm. They won the Champions League last season, of course, on the 1st of June. (laughs) So the bonus they get from winning that will come into this year's accounts, as will their participation in the in the European Super Cup, and of course you've then got the the FIFA World Club Championship uh, participation fees and uh, the fees for winning that. All of which, um, you know, it, it's just a series it's a series of positives. It is the perfect storm um, that they will never get a better chance to to knock Manchester United off that Deloitte Money League perch. Yeah, very interesting. And music to uh, Liverpool fans' ears, no doubt. And uh, <laughs> without being too, uh, what's probably the word, a bit a bit playful here, but I'm sure Liverpool fans weren't crying when they found out about Manchester City. Uh, the fact that they've been kicked out of Europe for the next two years uh, after being found to have breached financial fair play rules. Again, it's something that we've spoke about in the past. And now it seems like the chickens have come home to roost. Saying that, though, City this week have said that they will appeal against the ban. Uh, what do you make of it all and what happens now? Well, sort of trying to get into the, the, the detail is, is proving almost impossible <laughs> because uh, Manchester City have asked that the, the ruling of the adjudicating committee uh, be kept private because they are appealing to CAF. Um, lo- looking at this, it, it appears that City's ban wasn't for breaking financial fair play rules because they've already been sanctioned for that. They they were punished in 2014. They were given a squad reduction, a a wage cap and a a fine. So they've actually been punished for the breach of financial fair play rules. This appears to be for uh, misrepresentation Mm -hmm. of their uh, commercial income. So that's the allegation which has been made by uh, UEFA. City, of course, have, have 
decide this. Um, and you know, it, it's gone before an independent panel, and, and I appreciate that many City fans think that there's some form of conspiracy theory uh, against them. I, I don't think that is. There, there, there are a lot of people that don't like the Manchester City hierarchy. Some of them are from established clubs in Europe. I think we know which countries we're talking about there um, because they don't like the idea of new money. Yeah. Uh, City, City will, will fight this tooth and nail. Uh, I think the first thing that they will be doing in, in terms of their appeal to CAS will be to say that if this is going to take a long time, um, they, they would appeal for a, a suspension yes. um, of, the, uh, of the ban until a final ruling is made. Uh, now, where they will get with that, a lot will depend on uh, whether UEFA applied the appropriate procedures when, when when they when they when they gave their judgment, and the City do have some some pretty strong evidence to support that initial uh, claim for a suspension, um, and and then the case itself. You know, how, how long is it going to take? You know, how how long is a piece of string? Uh, the, the lawyers and the accountants and the financiers will be going through every single document they can they can they can unearth. They will be doing lots of comparative analysis, looking at City's finances compared to other clubs who have not been sanctioned. And I think uh, PSG would be the yes. clear one that we're trying to use there. Uh, they'll also be looking at close links between uh, Juve and Fiat and Bayern Munich and, and uh, BMW and Audi and all of these, these institutions to say, well, it's not only us that, that benefit from having um, rich owners, etc. You know, we've got rich owners who are effectively... Uh, a, a state, uh, you know, a state organisation, compared to um, other 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 clubs having owners who are very close linked with uh, corporate entities. Uh, so you know, they they will be they'll be doing whatever they can, and you can understand that. And uh, you know, whilst you know, I think there's a bit of glee coming from other clubs. I think we all know if it was our club that was before before the judge, you know, we'd hope they'd be doing something yeah. of a similar nature. Very true. Very true. But does it feel like a watershed moment, this, though, for UEFA and financial fair play? You rightly uh, pointed out that it, it, it does feel like a different thing to what City have, have been found guilty of in the past. But does this feel like the, the future of FFP and, and UEFA's kind of con- financial controls rest on this outcome? If City were to win, would we have to see like the, the whole r- ripped up and start again almost? I, I think this is bigger for UEFA than it is for Manchester City. Uh, I, I think UEFA's credibility very much on the line um, with, 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 with this taking place uh, and if, if City were to win how, how would UEFA have any credibility uh, in terms of future sanctions because this is their flagship case uh, previously when they've had dealings with the big clubs the big clubs effectively have, have gone off either with a, you know, a, a, a you know, go on the naughty step don't do it again but <laughs> yeah. not a significant punishment um, we have seen lots of sort of horse trading take place. You've only got to look to see what happened with uh, Milan uh, this season, who were initially threatened with a two-year ban by UEFA. And then Milan said, we won't even bother to contest it. We'll take a, a one-year voluntary ban. Um, and, and the reason why they did that, I, I strongly suspect, was they'd, they'd only qualified for the Europa League through their uh, uh, Syria uh, final, final status last yes. season. And therefore, they thought, well, yeah, we, actually, we're not particularly bothered about hosting Albanian second best team on Thursday night. <laughs> um, so so we, we'll take a one-year ban from that and we'll try to qualify for the Champions League in 2020-21 because 
math. We yeah, we we crunched the numbers. You know, they they they've been looking at their spreadsheets. Yes. And, yeah. And what they will have done is that they will realise that you get four times as much money from Champions League participation as you do from the Europa League. So they're actually better off taking a one-year ban and trying to qualify for the Champions League next season. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's, there's, there's always politics taking place. UEFA is a highly politicised organisation, like all uh, governing bodies are of major sports. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think I think we're all we're all sort of we're, we're going to get through an awful lot of popcorn in terms of the Manchester City case. <laughs> and it's against that backdrop that Liverpool can basically silently go about the business, continue. With the, the success they're having on and off the field, they must feel pretty vindicated because obviously the, the owners have been big advocates of FFP and as we've touched on in this podcast and podcast previously in, in terms of like balancing the books and cutting the cloth accordingly. It just does feel like Liverpool are in this great financial place at the moment and we all, and we all know how well it's going on the field as well. That's right. I, mean, I, I think whoever is the finance director should change his name to my dad. Everything is turning to gold. You know, the, the wage bill went up significantly still only around about 60% of income, so that's way within the, uh, you know, the, the UEFA red flag is at 70%. Uh, the, the, the value of money they, they invest in the playing squad has been rewarded in, in the trophies that they won last season and are about to win this season, um, and costs are under control, and they're paying down debt, which means that should the decision be approved, uh, you know, be, be positive in terms of a further expansion to... Uh, Anfield, then they've they've certainly got the resources to do that without having a negative impact uh, upon the the uh, long term success of of the squad and the team. Uh, you only got to look to see what happened with Spurs when they when they effectively expanded their stadium. Um, yeah, they had to put uh, recruitment on hold for a year, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're feeling it very much this year in terms of uh, you know they they are struggling on the pitch uh, because. You've got to constantly replenish your squad. You, you can't afford to take a, a holiday for, for two or three transfer windows in the, in the hope that things will improve and your existing team will, will uh, keep on delivering the goods because it only takes uh, an injury to, to the, you know, the likes of Harry Kane or somebody like Deli Ali losing a bit of form. Um, and you know, the players on whom you are over-dependent uh, suddenly are taken out of the equation and you're struggling as a result. Definitely, Kieran, and I think it's on that on that upbeat note uh, we'll end this conversation. And thank you very much for your for your time again. No doubt we'll be talking again in the coming months after what probably will be a, a Premier League title win, and who knows, perhaps a, a second European Cup on the run as well. But uh, first and foremost, thanks again for your time and and good luck in that uh, big derby on Saturday. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Paul. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.